0: The following message is brought to you by Baltimore Bible Church. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So now let's open our Bibles and follow along as we loose the Scriptures and let them speak. So we just finished celebrating Christmas, and one of the great things at Christmas time is the opportunity to give gifts. To people that we love, that are special to us, as an outreach to them to let them know how much we love them. And there's a number of gift-giving times throughout the year that we want to do something special for our, our wife, our husband, our family members. I wasn't raised that way. My, my dad thought buying flowers for his, my mom was, I mean, they fade in two or three days, so that's, that's not something you should spend money on. But I, my wife taught me well that after a certain <laughs> period of time that I should buy her gifts. And one time I was driving down Dixie Highway in Waterford, Michigan, and uh, there is a store called Discount Roses. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'll, I've never been in there. I'll, I'll get some roses for my wife just because. So I walk in, and there's like an 18-year-old kid working there, the only guy there. And I said, well, which roses would you pick? Uh, help me select the best roses. He said, you must be in big trouble. <laughs> I said, no, I'm just doing it to show my love to my wife just because. My wife does love gifts and gift giving. And uh, years before there was an Amazon... We uh, received a gift, or uh, a box, that came in the mail. That, that, That was rare in those days. So she was excited, she brought the box in, she's unwrapping it quickly, only to find out it was a gas cap for my lawnmower. I lost my gas cap. That was like getting coal on Christmas. So gifts are important. Expressions of love. And it's important that we share our deep, devoted expressions of love to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this afternoon, we want to look at John chapter 12. It's not a parallel passage to what we read earlier, but there are similarities in these two passages of extravagant love, of extravagant worship, how passionate and deep is our love for Jesus Christ, for God? How passionate are we in our worship as we gather together on the Lord's day? As we look at John chapter 12, we will see an example of extravagant love and worship that was lavished on Jesus Christ. So we'll look at John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. There are two other gospel accounts that are parallel to this—not our Luke seven that we just read, but Matthew twenty-six six through thirteen will refer to these occasionally, and also Mark fourteen three through nine. So our scripture reading for this message, John chapter twelve, beginning in verse one. Jesus therefore, six days before the Passover came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus has raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there. Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume, a pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now he said this, not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money in the box. He used to pilfer what was put into it. Therefore Jesus said, Let her alone, that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also because, on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. So we bow in prayer. Oh well, Lord, as we look at this text this afternoon, may we see boundless truths for us that guide us in our awe, our passion. Our love, our worship for you. For you are worthy of praise. You alone are worthy of every ounce of our energy of praise that we would offer and give to you. But I know for myself, I fail too often, too many times. Forgive us for lack of worship, for lack of sincerity. We pray that God the Spirit will guide and direct our thoughts and use these humble words to communicate biblical truth to this beloved church family this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen. The context of John chapter 12 is John chapter 11, which you've May know or may not know is a very significant chapter of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. I mean, just a phenomenal miracle that attracted a lot of attention at that time. We see in chapter 11, verse 45, as a result of that, many of the Jews believed in him. They were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Then down in chapter 11, verse 48, We read that the chief priests and the Pharisees said, If we let him go like this, all men will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. They were troubled. As we close chapter 11, we see that they were seeking after Jesus. And that he went away with his disciples to Ephraim, to a more desolate place. But now we come to chapter 12. Jesus returns to Bethany, which is only two miles to the east of Jerusalem, in the very center of a lot of the activity because Passover was coming and thousands of Jews are streaming into Jerusalem. As we see in the context in the opening couple verses of John chapter 12, it is six days before the Passover. The very next day after this supper that he has with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, will be the triumphal entry. It is the Passion Week, as we often note and denote at Easter time. Very significant part. Which also an interesting detail is that the Gospel of John devotes almost half the book to the Passion Week and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are very significant events in our Word of God and the Scripture that He has given us. Jesus comes to visit cherished friends. It's not the first time and not just the time of the raising of Lazarus to marry Martha and Lazarus. And they gave him a dinner and we don't know the location except for Matthew and Mark's accounts that it was not at their home but Simon the leper. We don't have any other details about Simon, about his healing, but we can assume that he was no longer a leper Otherwise, nobody would have dinner with him. That he also must have had a miraculous uh, work in his life to heal him from that dreaded disease. So, two people in this house experienced incredible miracles by God. One was an ex leper, and the other was an ex dead man. Those are pretty significant miracles, dining at the same table. It must have been a fairly large home because all the disciples are gathered together. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Jesus, and perhaps family members of Simon the leper. So it was not a small dinner party. And some of you had large dinner parties at Christmas. You know what that's like. And again, this was on a, at sundown on Saturday night. The Sabbath ended at sundown. And it was six days before the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Note in verse 2, a phrase, Martha was serving. Have we seen that somewhere else in Scripture? For we see in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus visited them before, in that occasion, Martha complains. Now, Sometimes Martha gets a bad rap. And we want to honor her for her service. But in Luke chapter 10, she's complaining because while she's serving, Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. And that's the passage where Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious about many things. We don't read that in this text. She's busy, quietly serving. And there's a role for serving. It's an important role that God's people are serving, and the servants at Baltimore Bible Church, you are an incredible blessing to our church family. And so it is very vital that we have people who are serving, no complaint at this time. But Mary and Martha had roles. They served their roles well. We read in the text that they were reclining as they ate, which was the custom in those days. They would sit propped up on their left elbow and eat with their right hand at a low standing table that was a U-shaped table. I don't know about you, that doesn't sound like a comfortable way to eat, except you get your mouth close to the table and just scoop it in, I guess. (laughs) And they also ate from a communal center platter in the middle of the table that contained the food. Americans would say you're double dipping. You can't do that. Uh, When we went to China, we, our our daughter and son-in-law were missionaries for a number of years and we ate at some folks' homes where they had a center dish and everybody just dove in uh, with their chopsticks to eat their food. And uh, I kind of sat there a minute and I thought, okay, got to do it. So I did it and and I had to stab my food, the meat with the chopstick, because I don't know how to use chopsticks. And I would starve to death if I didn't do anything else. But that was the setting, the situation. And it's here that we read about Mary's extravagant worship. She is a remarkable example for us, brothers and sisters, for us to follow of total Complete unrestrained love. Do you see that in the text? And may God use this to teach us more what our worship, our adoration should look like. There's four items that I like to notice in this passage. Four lessons we can learn. And first of all, number one, extravagant worship is sacrificial. In verse 3a, extravagant worship is Sacrificial. Notice verse three once again. Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume, a pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So we see that Mary took a pound of some very expensive oil slash perfume called pure nard. In all three gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and uh, John speak about the fact that this was a very expensive oil perfume. Now, Roman pound was only about 12 ounces, so about the size of a pop can, if they haven't shrunk since last time, but the average size of a pop can. And nard was a flowering plant from the Himalayas in India. It's pure nard, a pure oil, pure perfume coming from a long distance. The uh, nard plant, or sometimes the King James Version calls it a spiked nard, because uh, it came from the roots of the plant, and the roots look like Spikes. And they would ex- extract this oil, this perfume, from the roots. And it might have taken a lot of roots to get even 12 ounces of pure nard. Traveling a long distance. Adding to the cost, the labor, and the distance. And This plant was used to make an aromatic, perfume-like oil. Talk about essential oils, this was it. And so, verse 5 tells us how costly it was. And we'll get to Judas a little later, but I want to point out Judas tells us the value of this, 300 denarii. Now that doesn't mean much to me or you, except that one denarii was the wage of a common worker one day's wage so do the math if you take the sabbath day off which they did it's about one year's wages in those 12 ounces that's a lot of money when's the last time you gave somebody a gift that cost you a year's wages maybe that diamond ring was worth it so it's very costly It was expensive because it was imported from a far distant land and again it was very pure. This perfume was often used to anoint the dead body of kings, of people in high places. A question could be asked, how in the world did they come up with this expensive perfume, this expensive oil? Maybe it was a family heirloom that was passed on to them. Maybe they'd saved for years and years so they they could get this, not knowing exactly when and how they would use it. The ultimate thing is, she gave sacrificially. She gave very generously of her possessions. And my friend, is there any way to calculate the love of God for us? The cost of Jesus' sacrifice for us? Jesus is inexpressibly wonderful and Mary here is inexpressibly sacrificial and affectionate to Jesus. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 reminds us there is a cost for you and I to serve the Lord. The Bible reminds us, therefore I urge you brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. We are to sacrifice our lives, our time, our effort as a sacrifice before God. We also are commanded to give cheerfully as we give in our offerings to the Lord. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 reminds us each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion for God loves a what kind of giver? Cheerful giver. We are to give sacrificially. The widow gave all that she had. Paul also testified about the generosity of the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Listen to this. Paul says, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. They gave voluntarily, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation. In the support of the saints, to support missionary activity, missionary work. Now, my friend, it's not about the size of the gift, of our lives, of our offerings to the Lord. It really is how generous are we, how sacrificial are we? And I believe Mary's gift was indeed very sacrificial. She gave a very expensive oil, ointment to Jesus Christ in adoration and worship of him. You may not know this name, but maybe you recognize the song. Francis Habergale wrote the hymn, Take My Life and Let It Be. Perhaps you've heard of that song, an older song, Consecrated Lord to Thee. One of the stands that closes, Let Them Flow in Ceaseless Praise. Well, Frances Habergal got convicted by her own song, and four years later, she added another verse to her song. And that verse was, Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. And when she did that, she gave all of her jewelry to the church missionary house. She said it was a jewelry cabinet that was fit for a countess. I don't think I ever packed a box with such pleasure when I gave it to ministry. So my friend and I asked Glenn Curry this question, is my worship sacrificial? Is our worship sacrificial today? Number two, notice the end of verse three, extravagant worship is adoring. Extravagant worship is adoring. Notice the middle of verse 3. She anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. She took this very expensive oil, perfume. Matthew and Mark's account tells us she took an alabaster jar and anointed his head. John doesn't tell us that part. And and that was a normal way of anointing somebody with very special oils, very expensive perfume to anoint the head. So John doesn't tell us that, but John tells us she went the extra mile in her adoration of the Lord, not only head, but also his feet. It was unusual to put something that expensive on somebody's feet. She stooped down. And notice, and then, with selfless devotion, wiped his feet with her long flowing hair. That, my friend, is quite an act of adoration also quite an act of humility to do that with her long flowing hair. Mary's heart had to be overcome with love and gratitude. Truly, it was love without any restraint on her part. And by anointing Jesus' head and feet, she was demonstrating that, yes, Jesus is God. Jesus is God about to die. Jesus is my Savior. He is totally worthy of all the adoration and praise that I can give Him. Now, Jewish women usually did not let their hair down. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 15 that a woman's hair is called her glory and what did Mary do? She used her glory as a servant's towel to wipe the very feet of our savior Jesus Christ. Oh yes, this was a deep act of devotion and adoration. And we just sang at the Christmas season, Oh, Come Let Us Adore Him. And I still, I I listen over and over again. Our Christmas concert and the first song, I believe, was Oh, Come Let Us Adore Him, wasn't it? The kids and the choir singing, Oh, Come Let Us Adore Him. BBC family, are we adoring our Savior like we should? Is that heartfelt The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 34, verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Or Psalm 42, verse 1, cites, As a deer pants for the waters, so my soul pants for you, O Lord. Is there a heartfelt passion and desire for the Lord? This kind of worship comes from an overflow of gratitude towards God for what he has done. And we love to adore him. Now, sometimes we have to put this in human examples, and when I thought about this, I immediately thought of not a specific occasion, but either in person or on TV, I've watched when a superstar appears, whether it's an athlete uh, whether it's a musician, and what do the people do? They are fawning over that person. It sometimes is almost comical to see grown adults and this adoration for just another human being. It may be a political figure, it may be a great athlete. And I'm sure if Lamar Jackson were to walk in here right now, a lot of you'd want his signature. Ravens fans. Or even John Harbaugh is probably pretty popular now with a 13 and 4 record. He wouldn't be very popular if it was 14 and uh, 4 and 13 though. He'd be saying, fire the guy. We do that on a human level. And yes, I have done it a few times myself. Usually around an athlete, a couple times a political person, and I said, I actually shook their hand. I can't believe it. We do it. And yet, somebody might say, I don't really know how to worship. We are all worshipers, we're all worshipers of something or somebody. And isn't it far better that we worship God? And not these humans who are just human, who cannot save us from the depths of our depravity and sin, can do nothing for us but maybe win a ball game for us or maybe make us feel good by their music. Yet Mary took extreme measures as she showed her devotion, her adoration. And in the scripture reading earlier today in Luke chapter 7, a prostitute anointed Jesus' feet with perfume. She even washed his feet with her tears, wiped his feet with her hair. She kissed his feet, anointed them with oil. She was awestruck at with reverence and deep gratitude. What did the Pharisee do? He scoffed. Well, if Jesus only knew. <laughs> Jesus knew what the Pharisee was thinking. That should have gotten his attention. What a contrast between a proud Pharisee and this repentant woman. Jesus told her, your faith has saved you. We read at the end of verse 3 that the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. It must have been a very potent perfume to fill the house as all 12 ounces were put on Jesus' head and feet and wiped. Some of you moms know what fragrance is or the lack of fragrance when your kids come from a hot summer day playing basketball or sports. And mom says, get out of here. Get away from me. Get in the shower. Because the bad aroma is filling the room. There was this sweet aroma of that. One thing that I'm disappointed about Baltimore area is that there are not white castles. I have to go back to Michigan to go to White Castle and uh, it's about two ounces meat and 10 ounces grease. So uh, one time I was at my mother-in-law's house and she asked me to go to the cleaners and the cleaners was right next to White Castle. So I I had to, it was three o'clock in the afternoon, I had to get at least uh, three or four sliders. I ate them very quickly, I came in the house and my wife said, you've been to White Castle. (laughs) I said, how do you know that? I can smell it on you. (laughs) May we spread the beautiful aroma in worship and awe of our Savior. May it exude from our lives, our hearts, our passion for Him. And the more passionate and adoring we are of our Savior, it will be contagious to fellow believers. Or it'll be an evangelistic tool saying, "Wow, you are really sold out in your faith. You really love Jesus Christ." The second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 cites, "But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him in every place. We can bring the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Him by our awe, by our adoration, by our sacrifice. The greatest gift, my friend, isn't it? Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. As the song says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Thirdly, extravagant worship is sincere. In verses 4 through 6, we bring into Judas, into the situation. We notice in verse 4, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now he said this not because he was concerned, and John adds this in verse 6 to help us understand. Not that he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box. He used to pilfer what was put into it. I didn't realize this till I uh, saw this in a commentary or heard somebody mention this, that this is the first recorded words of Judas in Scripture. Why was this perfume not sold and given to poor people? Matthew and Mark's account say, yeah, the other disciples, though they didn't say it, they, they agreed and said, yeah, yeah, this, this is really spending too much money on Jesus. I'm not sure exactly how they said it, but they joined in on the agreement. In contrast to this insincere thought on Judas's part, we have Mary's sincerity her sincere love. What was Judah's response? It was far from being sincere. It was a self-centered response. Self-centered love, self-centered worship is insincere. It oftentimes is superficial. Now at first, Judah sounds very spiritual. He was concerned about the poor, complaining that it was very expensive. It was worth an annual wage for somebody. Yet Judas, a few days later, what would he do? He would turn around and sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. What treachery. Showing his true heart. John tells us that Judas was not really concerned for the poor. That he was really a thief. He was an embezzler. And it was really his greed that was the motive for making this statement. We see Mary in contrast, sincere awe, wonder, and sacrifice, coming from a true heart of passion, a true heart of worship, worshiping in sincerity and in truth. Judas felt none of that but valued money as a thief more than he valued Jesus Christ. How about you and I? Is our worship sincere or is it fake? Are we putting on a show? In Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 through 9, Jesus identifies the Pharisees for who they really wa- were by saying, you hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart Is far away. They were totally insincere, but in vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So, my friend, we do have to be careful that we do not do our worship to be seen of others, to have people applaud us or pat us on the back. Just to be seen for outward show. That's what the Pharisees were all about, the externals, and their heart was far away from the Lord. God wants heartfelt, passionate, sincere worship. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned about ostentatious worship in one's prayer life or almsgiving or fasting. Do not do it to be seen by others, go in the closet and pray. Give do your giving in secret. Do not dress up like you've been fasting for show. And he says those who do it for show, they have their reward. They do not receive their heavenly reward. Their reward is only the accolades and applause of fellow human beings. Number 4, extravagant worship is thoughtful. Extravagant worship, is sacrificial, it is adoring, it is sincere, it is thoughtful. Notice in verse 7, therefore Jesus said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Jesus intercedes for her, let her alone, commending her worship and adoration because she was doing it so thoughtfully. She was doing it for the day of his burial. Now the text doesn't tell us how much she realized or understood but she must have understood something that was about to occur very soon. Something that kind of went over the heads of the disciples. Jesus had prophesied time and time again that he was going to die. They wanted him as king. They wanted to overrule Caesar. But they had to have a savior who would lay down his life for their sins, for our sins, for the sins of the world. And so she kept this perfume. He said, for the day of my burial. She seemed to understand what the disciples did not understand. Remember, dear friend, Jesus died for your sins, for my sins. We need to think about the cost. The gift. And we need to be thoughtful in our worship as we seek to praise Him and think through the elements of what Jesus accomplished. Therefore, He was made to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made righteous, clothed in His righteousness. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. She prepared this that was often used for as an expensive oil for a very rich person, a king. And she poured it on Jesus Christ before his burial. I mean, we get all kinds of flowers for people before or after they die. We might as well do it before they die to shower it on them. Another song that we often sing that at our communion service, do we really think through the words, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed ones of God be saved to sin no more Imagine that, the day when we will sin no more. When this poor, lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave, then in a nobler, sweeter song I'll sing thy power to save. God's power to redeem us, to save us. We need to be thoughtful. One of the phrases we read about Mary, she pondered, uh, Jesus' mother Mary She pondered these things in her heart. We need to ponder. We need to be thoughtful. May the joy of the Lord of our salvation well up in our soul. But note also in verse 8, Jesus said, For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now, at first glance, that may sound rather insensitive on Jesus' part. First, as we've already cited, Judas really did not care about the poor. He's a thief, he's a man full of greed. But secondly, Jesus points out you will have plenty of opportunities. There's only one opportunity. Just a few short days, Jesus would die on the cross for their sins, the sins of the world, for our sins. While he was still there in their presence, they had this golden opportunity to worship him, to sacrifice, to adore him, to have thoughtful praise to him. And by the way, to those scoffers at Jesus' statement, where did Jesus focus most of his ministry? To the rich? To the famous, to the spiritual leaders? No, it was to the poor, to the paupers, to the hurting, to the struggling. Those were the ones he welcomed. Those were the ones that opened their heart in saving faith to Jesus Christ. And it was important for Mary to seize this opportunity to show her deep love, her extravagant love and devotion to our Savior. And truly, I believe her worship was very thoughtful. Realizing in a few days that Jesus would die to save sinners. Mark chapter 14, in Mark's context of this, this account, says in Mark fourteen nine, Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be spoken of in memory of her. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, Her memory will live throughout infamy, church history, as a godly example of what true worship should look like. And Mark records that for us. For Mary is a great example of authentic worship, extravagant worship, of a person who understood that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. It begins with our heart, my friend, not outward show. Where is our heart today? Do we have a heart for worshiping Jesus and bowing before him? As we reflect on these verses, I wanted to ask the question, so what really is hindering us from true Authentic worship. And I came up with three thoughts, not in this text, but throughout Scripture. What can be great hindrances to a faithful, honest, earnest worship, number one that came to mind is sin. I mean, that's a given, isn't it? As the psalmist writes, or Isaiah the prophet says, Isaiah 59, verse 2, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Scripture warns us. When there is unconfessed sin, there is a barrier in our prayer life. There's got to be a barrier in our worship. That's why I I love our opening psalm and time of reflection. That is a time to pour out our heart if we haven't already done so at home before we gather here at BBC to earnestly pray for forgiveness of our sins that we would come with earnest, honest worship before the Lord. Sin is a barrier to our worship. Secondly, short memories. Turn over to Isaiah 1. I haven't asked you to turn to other passages, so I ask you to turn to Isaiah 1. Isaiah 1, 2, and 3. And just for background, remember Isaiah speaking to people who had been immensely blessed by God. Looking back in their history, they were slaves in Egypt. God provided 10 plagues, God provided a, a Red Sea that they could cross. God provided them the promised land, miracle after miracle, the power of God on great display. And what does Isaiah say? Isaiah chapter 1, verse 2 Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. Verse 3. An ox knows its owner. And a donkey, its master's manager. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. How in the world did that ever happen? I think they had short memories. They lost their memory of what God and wondrously provided and blessed them. He showed extravagant love to them and provided for them. And what did they do? They turned against him. And through Isaiah, the prophet, God is saying, animals know better than we do. Animals treat their masters better than we do, our God, on so many occasions. I believe the seat, the heart of ingratitude, is short memories. Have you ever been to a, a testimony meeting where the pastor gets up and says, okay, who wants to share a blessing? I've been to a couple of the services and like the minutes went on. Come on, isn't anybody ready to jump up and praise God for blessings in their lives? Now, it doesn't always happen that way and I'm sure it wouldn't happen that way at BBC. But how sad, the short memories. Thirdly, self-centeredness. Self-centeredness, selfishness. Unfortunately, the disciples who were gathered to that dinner did not get it. For shortly after they observe the Last Supper with Jesus, in Luke chapter 22, we read the disciples, so this is just a few days later, are having an argument. Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Come on, guys. They just observed the Last Supper this do in remembrance of me, and you're arguing who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Self-centeredness. We take our eyes off God and it's on ourselves. When am I going to get the attention? When am I going to get the accolade? He went on to tell them the greatest among them would be the one who serves. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 reminds us, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of an abundant heart, a blessed heart. But this wasn't the only time there was this kind of selfish division among the disciples. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 20 and following, we read of the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, asking if James and John, one could sit on the right hand of God and the other on the left hand of God, did she realize what she was asking? And, and were, they, were they whispering, Mom, next time you're with Jesus, would you ask this? Self-centeredness. My friend, we need to get our eyes off ourselves upon God. For a life spent in selfless devotion to Jesus will never be wasted. But a life spent on self is totally wasted. Perhaps this afternoon, even at this juncture, after reading these verses, your heart is still empty. Maybe you're not truly born again. Maybe you're not truly born again Christian. Jesus made very clear in John chapter 11 that the raising of Lazarus, the gospel, when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And I believe it was Mary that said, yes, I believe. Do you believe that? Perhaps there's one here gathered who's never truly repented of your sin, placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Acts 16 31 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. An unbeliever can only fake it. They can put on a false front and the Pharisees were good at that. But perhaps the need of the hour is salvation, faith in Jesus Christ alone. Mary's worship and gift to Jesus was indeed extravagant. And yet it is of no comparison to the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us. And we're reminded of that truth in 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Or I reminded in John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. That's what Jesus did for us. And God continues to give lavishly on us. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 34. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? All things. We are truly blessed. Amen? Amen. Blessed beyond measure, beyond anything we could ever imagine. We have experienced the sweet aroma of God's grace, and His grace on us has been extravagant, and the least we can do is to bring extravagant worship back to Him. John Piper said this It is a beautiful thing when the worth of Jesus and the love of His followers match. When the value of his perfections and the intensity of of our affections correspond. BBC Church family, let's let our affections, our worship be extravagant. Let's lavish on God. In just a few minutes, we're going to close by singing, I think, a familiar song, Is He Worthy? Let me just read a few of those words before we close with the benediction singing this song. The song begins with a question, does the Father truly love us? And what do we say? Does the Spirit move among us? And does Jesus our Messiah hold forever those He loves? And we say, He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with us? Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The lion of Judah who conquered the grave? He of David's root and the lamb who died to, to ransom the slave. From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue, he has made us a kingdom and priest to God to reign with his son. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Of all blessing and honor and glory. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? And we'll respond. He is. Again. He is. He is worthy. He is worthy. Let's give him. Our extravagant worship. Shall we pray? Lord. I don't know about my church family, but I am very convicted by this passage. I know how woefully I fail. Lord, help us to be more sacrificial, to be more adoring in our worship. Help us to be more thoughtful. Help us to be very sincere. And our worship. For we are truly blessed. So please forgive for our failure and help us. To honor you and glorify you. To truly love the Lord our God with all our heart. With all our heart. With all our soul. With all our mind. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events and where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserves all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating all printed media, CDs and digital files.